how to follow that. <laughs> Good morning, St Matthews. Um, it really is a great pleasure and a privilege to be able to join with you today and to be able to open up the word together. Uh, my name is Jess um, and Tim and Fiona's daughter. It's a great uh, yeah, gift to be able to join you today. And I actually wanted to start by saying uh, thank you. As I was reflecting and preparing to be able to speak today, I was really um, quite overcome with a really strong feeling of gratitude. Uh, St Matt's was my home church through a really formative time of my life from when I was seven years old to when I was 23 years old. Um, I was married here. Uh, my husband, Marty, and um, our children, we worship at Enfield Baptist Church these days, but I'll always consider St Matt's to be church family as well. Um, and so what I wanted to say thank you for as I look around the room and see familiar faces was that passing on of the baton um, or perhaps more accurately the treasure that is knowing Jesus and working out what it is to follow him in our lives. Um, I'm really deeply grateful for the investment that St Matt's as a church family made in my life uh, through, in many ways um, over many years and um, through that really laid a gospel in my life of what it is to know and to uh, to know the gospel and to live in a way um, that, you know, seeks to follow Jesus and the beauty of church fellowship as well. So thank you for that. So with all of that said, let's turn to our scripture today, having a look at our gospel reading from Matthew. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Um, as we can, you may have seen, we've got some beautiful uh, lights out the front, which Dad will talk about a little bit later. But uh, we have this season of Advent where we wait in anticipation and remember um, this tiny baby who came to our world to save it, uh, who was and is the very person of God. And so it's appropriate today to be looking at what it is to wait and Indeed, the wake-up call of not becoming complacent in that waiting as well. I wonder if you have ever had the experience of having an unexpected visitor to your home. It can suddenly make you re-evaluate your surroundings in a very different light. Uh, we love having people over to our home if we're able to. Um, my husband, Marty, and we've got two children, Hope, who is two years old, and Gideon, who's just turned five. And so the kind of resting state of our house is pretty typical of a busy young family. You know, we've got various um, artistic creations and toys laying around the place. You might have some couch cushions that have been made into cubby houses or forts. Uh, we might have... Um, uh, yeah, an unfinished snack or two on the dining table or perhaps the floor. You never know what you've got to quite find. And while I'm, you know, very much of the belief that it's lovely to have people over into the realistic, you know, into our realistic lives at home, at the same time it's quite nice to be able to sit down on a couch and not find an unexpected Duplo creation underneath you. Um, and there's also that feeling, I might not be the only one who knows what it is to have a look in the pantry or the fridge to try to work out what you can rustle up for an afternoon snack, knowing that you don't have any time to get to the shops. I think when you have those unexpected, delightful visits, um, you suddenly see the scope of the clean-up at hand with a new light and with a new urgency. You can tidy a room well enough or concoct an adequate snack or even a cup of tea in a few minutes, but it's quite a different thing to turn around the direction of a whole life or a whole culture. And sometimes, of course, we might get a more serious wake-up calls interrupting our ordinary lives 
that give us a sudden clarity or perspective about who or what ultimately matters most and what we do or do not have control over as well. And that is what our gospel reading today is really all about. So firstly, let's just think about a bit of context for this passage that we have read from, uh, from Matthew and think about uh, what it would have, the significance it would have had for Jesus' listeners. So we meet Jesus in this passage during a particularly intense and significant time. He's just returned to Jerusalem uh, and uh, is going to and is fulfilling the many prophecies that he has on his life and the call that he has on his life. He is uh, not very far away at all from dying a horrific death on the cross and ultimately his a victorious resurrection. He knows what is ahead and in this moment, he's just taken a little bit of a step back, a bit of a breather with the disciples, and he's sitting on the mount of, uh, amongst the Mount of Olives with them. And his disciples are likely feeling pretty confused and perhaps quite disquieted as well as they try to make sense of the events that they have seen unfold and also of what Jesus has been talking about in relation to his own death and in relation to the fate of Jerusalem as well. As we saw in the Old Testament readings that we had, um, you know, they've had this vision for a Jerusalem restored. And so they're trying to make sense of those things and his disciples ask him privately, a little bit earlier in chapter 24 and verse 3, they ask him, tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal the end of the world? These are big questions to ask and I imagine if I was the disciples I would have been feeling a bit nervous about what Jesus was about to say. And so Jesus then proceeds to do a bit of a deep dive um, about the, ch the challenging realities that do indeed lie ahead of them. And so as it always is when we're reading any scripture, it's important to consider what would the original hearers have made of this at the time? What would the hearers of Jesus have made of his words at this time? So the context for this overall passage indicates that Jesus was likely referring to the looming crisis of their time and that was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple which happened in 70 AD and that was indeed to be the end of the first century Judeo, uh, the world that, um, they, that they knew and it was going to be the end of the world as they knew it as it were. Uh, these hearers of Jesus, you know, they've been waiting expectantly for this Messiah and, you know, perhaps even growing a bit tired in that waiting. They were hoping or many were hoping that when this prophesied Messiah would come that he would usher in this military and political victory and so um, in Jerusalem and yet understandably they then grappled with this huge concept uh, presented by Jesus that victory wouldn't necessarily look like that. I mean, what a reality to try to grasp that the mission of the Messiah was actually so much larger in scope to usher in that ultimate victory over the greatest enemies of the human race, sin and death. And so no one knew when that crisis would be, but Jesus tells them here that it would be within a generation and as it was with Noah, that normal life would continue right up until that moment. It would divide families and colleagues as some would be taken to meet their fate. The end of the world as they knew it was upon them. But of course as we read this today we also bring to it our own uh, applications and interpretations of our time as well. Many readers see a warning to Christians to be ready for another day which was the second coming of Jesus. 
You know, you can read about this day in many other passages, including 1 Thessalonians 5 or Acts 2 or Revelation. That day when God will restore and remake all of creation with Jesus taking centre stage. And it seems that this impending day is also what the writer of the Gospel, Matthew, is keen to foreshadow. Matthew um, probably wrote this, uh, wrote his Gospel after the fall of Jerusalem, uh, but he seems keen to foreshadow both that day of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple with that ultimate day of Jesus' second coming, of that return. And so this passage helps us also to recognise our historical and our spiritual context of being in this in-between time between Jesus' coming to earth then and his second coming, uh, that now and the not yet, now we know his kingdom coming to this world in part and then, of course, we hope and we uh, trust that we will see his kingdom come in full. However, all of that said, it seems that the overall urgent point which Jesus is really wanting to make here and to highlight isn't to engage in this eschatological forecasting of the end times of Jerusalem or the world, as only the Father knows that and only the Father should know that. The point here for the disciples and us to focus on here is in verse 42 where he says, Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know what day on what day the Lord will come. So this wake-up call from Jesus, primarily in this context, was really directed towards that dire um, emergency heading in their direction in the first century after Jesus' death and resurrection and before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. But this wake-up call also foreshadows the Lord's, also foreshadowing the Lord's day, also rings true for us in our context and has rung true throughout subsequent history as well. And so let's just sit with a moment with that idea, with that, uh, that urgent invitation from Jesus to keep watch. I wonder what he means. It makes me wonder what does it mean to keep watch? You know, why, why this call to vigilance and what are we to be vigilant about? And so firstly, keeping watch over our faith. Now, I wonder whether it's just me, but I feel like a very human response and temptation here can be to have a look at our, uh, sort of assess our external situation. You know, am I looking Christian enough? Or if we're going with the unexpected visitors to our home example before, is our house tidy enough? But isn't it always so important to remember first that God sees through all of our doing and sees through to our heart? And God is always about the heart first. And so this wake-up call invites us, or indeed urges us, to consider what really only we and God can answer. Do I know and am I following the voice of Jesus in my life today? Is my hope and my trust truly in him and growing, even in those secret corners of my heart? In what ways is he our place of peace and rest? Is it he who we reach for as we consider or as we seek fulfilment in this life? Are we responsive to the prompts of the Holy Spirit and the way that he um, calls in and on our lives and places a call in and on our lives, growing in our love for others as we have been loved by him? 
you know, this isn't about our external KPIs or our key performance indicators as Christians. Thank you. <laughs> but it's about our, our honest internal reality, you know, rooted in that trustworthy hope that we have in Jesus. This isn't all about gazing inwardly. It's about considering where are we gazing? Are we gazing at Jesus, fully enabled in God's strength and not our own to get our house in order? Last week, I think Dad talked about the importance of tap roots and indeed that, um, that beautiful imagery that you have for St. Matt's of the tree and the roots growing down deep really symbolises that beautifully as well. Uh, we've, we recently built a house um, a couple of years ago. We've just got to planting some new plants in our garden, which is very exciting. So the concept of roots and seeing our, our plants hopefully survive is very fresh for me. Uh, but that, that idea that um, all, all, I guess... Plants that are thriving and surviving have these tap roots which grow deep down into the soil to draw out nutrients. And it is those tap roots which actually helps them to survive and thrive throughout all sorts of different weather and seasons. And so if our faith were a plant, how deep are we actually letting that tap root grow down into that love and knowledge of God? You know, when we place our faith in Jesus and when we fix our eyes on him, and surrender to that internal transformation of our hearts and minds, that is then when the external fruit flows out from that, from that internal reality. And so are we awake and watchful to the state of our personal faith? And how are we actually tending to the soil of our life and faith so that we can stand strong in this faith? You know, this is the reason that we commit to continuing to gather together as his church family. The reason that we commit to this fellowship, to worshipping, to praying, to reading the scriptures, uh, to reading more about who, about who God is, to talking with each other about what he is up to in our lives and what we're learning about him and what it means to work out our salvation as we live. Now, this is a wake-up call to consider, are there distractions or barriers or questions or situations that have even innocuously taken our eyes and our hearts off of Jesus? I'm reminded by, uh, there's a, a passage which is probably familiar in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, it's a great passage from uh, verses 10 to 18 where Paul talks about putting on the armour of God. Um, and the reason it comes to mind is because uh, Paul reminds us there that our unseen reality is that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. And even those innocuous distractions can actually be weaponized against our faith. And he, I won't read out the whole passage, but I'll just finish reading uh, verse 18 where Paul says, after he's talked about, you know, putting on the armor. Um, uh, you know God's armor and he says pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion stay alert you know, very similar language to what Jesus uses in this gospel reading today stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere you know this consistent commitment to keep showing up for each other and to keep showing up for his church and keep showing up for Jesus it matters I think this invitation here is always there from the Christ who within this spiritual battle is the highest authority and who we know is victorious. And this invitation from him, um, you know, he yearns for us to come to him in raw honesty 
and our, all of our vulnerabilities and bring the details of our hearts and lives before him. He yearns to bring us rest and restoration and reconciliation and peace and hope and love. He yearns to uh, equip us and to strengthen us and to protect us as individuals and as a collective, as his church. I think a great gift of my time at the moment, I'm a, a high school teacher and so my drive to work, I work up in the hills, is about 40 minutes and perhaps for this particular season of my life where, you know, home life is quite busy, um, I really treasure my times in the car. That actually becomes a really beautiful time for me to pray. And I don't know, you know, what people next to me in the other cars are thinking. Um, but I think that's become a really great time just for me to be able to, particularly at the beginning of the day, just sort of just just pray and give him all the situations that are on my heart and mind to be able to flesh out questions that I've been wrestling with or whatever it is that's on my heart and that's been a great gift to be able to have that often I'll sort of start I think I'll just you know quick prayer then I'll listen to a whatever podcast or whatever but often I find myself 40 minutes later getting to school and it's just been the the most grounding and refreshing time to come before God that's you know what's working for me and is a great gift for me in my season and I think it's a, it's a helpful thing to consider within each of our seasons and lives. You know, are we allowing that space to come before God? Not as a sort of, again, external performance, but um, are we being fed by him? You know, just as on a plane, we're told to put on our oxygen mask uh, before we are able to help others so that we can help others. Are we breathing in his oxygen, as it were? And so this question, sorry, this passage, it asks that question of us, of why not today? Why not take this opportunity, this challenge, this reminder that we never know what tomorrow will actually bring to choose, to choose life, to choose to turn to him, to make things right with God or even perhaps to make things right with someone else because that also matters to God deeply. Secondly, as we think about what it means to keep watch, are we keeping watch over the needs of the world around us? You know, when we do have our spiritual oxygen mask on, as it were, what then? You know, what do we do with our wakefulness, with our consciousness, with our watchfulness? What are we actually watching for? In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks in a similar way about this day of the Lord. In verses 11 and 14, he talks about how, as we've you know, just considered, how our focus should be on living holy, godly, peaceful lives as we wait. We're to be watchful that we don't lose our secure footing in our faith in Jesus. And in verses 9 and 15, he talks about the reason that Jesus actually hasn't yet returned while we haven't seen this second coming yet. And that is because in his mercy, God is being patient so that everyone has that opportunity to repent, to meet him and to be saved and know life in him from now into eternity. And so are we awake and watchful to the needs of the world around us, of the people around us and the missional purpose that every single one of us has every day of our lives, no matter the season that we are in? You know, I'm really encouraged here in this passage that it serves as a wake-up call for us, certainly to the state of our personal spiritual lives and our relationship with God, but it's also a wake-up call to the urgency of the mission and the purpose that every follower of Jesus has. 
I really love that um, God has actually placed each one of us uniquely and individually in the situations that we are in. You know, I love that each of us has our own unique personalities and stories which God uses and works through. He has gifted each of us and he is calling each of us to use those uh, to build relationships and to share the love of Jesus with our family members, with our friends, with our neighbours, with our health professionals, everyone that we actually come into contact with, to always be alert to the opportunities which he places before us. I think for me at the moment, um, you know, the main ways that I spend my time in my vocation as a high school teacher and also as a mum, I pray that God would be helping me to say those, see those everyday opportunities that present themselves before me and to be able to have the words to speak and to be able to pay attention to those prompts of the Holy Spirit to perhaps just listen a little bit more to what someone might be saying or take a conversation, recognise an opportunity to take a conversation in a particular direction or ask a question. And so we are called, as we do that, to spur one another on. Sometimes we can actually help each other to recognise the opportunities that lie before us as well. To spur each other on, encouraging each other in our faith as we share what it is to follow Jesus together. And so let's not become complacent in our role to share that light that Christ brings to the darkness the hope that he brings to the brokenness of the world, the peace that he brings to the chaos and the fear and the rest that he brings to our striving. Today, I wonder what specific opportunities God has placed before you in the various relationships that you have in your life to testify to God's work in your life and to share the gospel. I know that I can certainly become distracted or complacent or preoccupied with the worries or troubles or even comforts of this world. But here is our wake-up call to have a look at our lives with new eyes and to see the gifts that lie before us every day. Now, what opportunities is God uh, inviting us to recognise, even if we use those opportunities imperfectly, even if we've missed opportunities in the past, even if we're feeling a bit wobbly ourselves. You know, God is always at work, even when we can't see it. And so my prayer for all of us today is that, and let's continue to pray, that God would help us to see those moments, that he would guide us with words to say or actions of love and grace. Sometimes even the smallest things can really shine a light into people's lives and show them who Jesus is. I pray that we would recognise also the purpose that we have in our unique lives to have those conversations as followers of Jesus with those around us. And so today, what realities, sorry, what yeah, realities and opportunities is he prompting you to be watchful and alert to? Where can we engage with the people and the world around us to bring Christ's light into that darkness? And I think it's so important to remember that God's invitation is always, always, always an invitation to life, to the love and the peace and the hope and the forgiveness and the reconciliation and the restoration, wisdom, fulfilment, grace, all of those things which we can only know through Christ Jesus in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so this text is a reminder for us to RSVP to that invitation and to do that today. 
It's not for us to know or decide the day that the Lord will return or even when we will meet him face to face. But what is in our control only is how and when we respond to the invitation of God, whether that is for the first time or whether that is turning back to him over a many years long relationship with him. How we will respond to that invitation in our own faith and then the way that we choose to live our lives in response to it, in response to the work of the Spirit in our hearts. This text is a wonderful, merciful, good and kind reminder, an opportunity for clarity. Let's not put off responding. This text is a reminder to choose the life, to choose the love, to choose the peace and the hope and the restoration and the reconciliation that we can only know in Christ Jesus today. Amen.